Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hello, friend. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First off, as of last week, Potterless is two years old, which is absurd. I just wanted to say thank you all so much for listening to the show, supporting the show, whether it's by listens on social media or through Patreon, by telling your friends and family about the show, spreading the word. All the support that you've done is incredible, and you literally have changed my life. Potterless is the reason I got my new job, and there are so many opportunities and doors that are opening because of... Of the success of Potterless, and I cannot thank all of you enough for making my silly little podcast about me poking fun at children's books into something that is actually and literally changing my life for the better. So I just wanted to thank you all so much. And here's to more success in many more years to come. A friendly reminder that I'm going to be at Vancouver Podfest November 10th. On Saturday afternoon, I'll be taking part in the convention's Harry Potter extravaganza with a bunch of other Harry Potter podcast hosts. I'm very excited. We're going to be doing Q&A about the shows, a bunch of fun trivia. And the best part is it's free. You can go to bit.ly slash Potterlessvan, all lowercase if you want some more information. And I hope to see you there. In a fun announcement, I starred in my very first audio drama. It's called Time Bombs. It was put together by Gabrielle Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti, all of whom worked on Wolf 359 and all of whom were guest stars on Potterless. It was part of a challenge they called Fear of Public Shame, where they wrote, recorded, edited, and produced an entire audio drama in the span of one week. It was so much fun. It's a great three-episode miniseries. I can't recommend it enough. So if you just search Time Bombs on any of your podcast apps, you'll find it. And it was so much fun to be an actor for once. I'm very biased, but I think you'll enjoy it. I'm also happy to say that today's episode of Powerless is brought to you by Stitch Fix as well as Far Away, which is an amazing board game that just launched its Kickstarter, and I cannot wait to tell you all more about it in the middle of the episode, but I'm not exaggerating. It's my favorite board game, and I'm so excited that they're sponsoring the show. And speaking of support for the show, we have new patrons to welcome to the team. So shout out to Shane Tate, Need Rana, Tobias Hauser, Camilla Johansson, Carolina Fornari, Natalie Faulkner, Svenja Filthout, Sydney Milburn, Katie Gifford, Jake W., Emma Vestman, Juliana Bradley, Jamie Devlin, Anna Lillis, Frank J. DeNaro, Mariana Hernandez, Wahaj Mohammed, Danica Nesbitt, Sane Sutter, Emily Duberg, Lizzie Hinson, Jamal Thajadine, Dothi Hauksen, Annie Schaffer, Emily Landry, Allison, and Anda. A big shout out to Ben Silver and Mark Body who upgraded their pledge, and a huge shout out to Tiago Costa, who upgraded to producer status. And speaking of producer level patrons, we also have new producer level patrons Lester Chan, Fonas Ebner, Chase Julian, and someone who made their name Can't I Potter. And we have two birthday messages. One, happy birthday, Natalie. Lozano, I love you, and happy birthday to Hermione Hoff. These producers join the ranks of Leanne, Vicky, Aaron, Erica, Calvin, Sadie, Jesse, Natalie, Deborah, Clow, Alex, Frank, Marchismo, Tori, Samantha, Juan, Jenna, Kieran, Louise, Akansha, Rebecca, Abid, Caitlin, Benjamin, Rosemary, Jill, Marie, Lisa, Ariel, Romina, Kamel, Anthony, Russell, Jenny, Dustin, Katie, Audra, Indiana, Eleanor, Sydney, Billy, Rossanne, Micah, Andrea, Nikita, Colette, Chrissy, Shrina, Lala, Chelsea, Taylor, Sammy, Lafkesh, Shervani, Ali, Kaumage, Cassandra, Roxy, Amelia, Sean, Jeremiah, Courtney, Sarah, Jesus, Ben, Francisco, Rachel, Marcus, Zachary, Melody, Kristen, Jonathan, Zach, Elisa, Daisy, Jessica, Orchid, Jonathan, Joe, Isabel, Steve, Vivian, Samuel, Ali, Victoria, Kyla, Elena, Takari, Darlene, Brenna, Jackie, Drake, James, Haley, Marino, Brayden, Matthew, Taylor, Hannah, Angelina, Ash, Rosemary, Peter, and Maria, who never leave their marshmallows too long in a campfire to the point where they get burnt and gross, unless that's their thing. If you want to be like any of these amazing patrons and get access to some fun extras like exclusive merchandise, bonus episodes, my notes, you can go to patreon.com slash Potterless and join our team today. So without further ado, let's get into episode 53 of Potterless covering chapter 24 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, guest starring Kelly Beck. Internet, and 
welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 26-year-old man reading the Harry Potter series for the very first time. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that 26-year-old man, and I am here joined again by our web designer, the reason the show exists, and my girlfriend, Kelly Beckman. Kelly, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to continue our journey through this very meaty portion of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Woohoo! Okay, great. Glad you're excited. So we are now getting into chapter 24, which is called Sectum Sempra, which all we know about it so far is that the Half-Blood Prince has identified it as four enemies, so we're not exactly sure at the time of reading this what it means, but we learn what it is and it's very intense. I did know going into it that it's Latin for always cutting, and my guess of what it was, which I said on the episode I recorded with Miel, was uh, was much different than what it actually turned out to be. I thought it was going to be far more severe. What you thought it was? I thought it was going to be some sort of like torture thing where it just kept cutting you. You know, like that torture type thing where it's like a blade very slowly moving. I thought it was going to be like one of those things where it just like uh... is always cutting you forever. And this just seems like it's the equivalent of getting slashed by a sword. Or at least that's how Harry describes it when he does it to Malfoy. I always imagined it more severe than that as like a bunch of gashes. Uh-huh. It would seem like multiple, but it didn't necessarily seem like always, which is what well, Sempra we'll is. Well, we'll get there, but oh, yeah, in Spanish too. Yes. Siempre or what, what is mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Um, oh, I never thought of that. But no, but yeah. we'll get there. But I got the impression that Snape had to use some very serious healing charms to counteract it. He did. Because it seems like it's always a cut and it's not something that really oh, can, like, you okay, couldn't so put maybe- a bandaid on it and heal it. Oh, so maybe it's not always cutting, but maybe it's like always a cut. So it's similar to like when Arthur had the snake bite that just kept bleeding and kept bleeding and they had to resort to stitches and then Molly freaked out on him. Yes, this happens multiple times in the series, but dark magic leaves a mark that can't be entirely taken away. Like the the lightning bolt on uh, Harry's head. Yeah, so it's really more like always bleeding rather than always cutting. I thought it was going to be like constant pain of cutting. Anyway, we'll get into it. For <laughs> We're not the even there chapter, yet. So. Okay. Yeah, we have to we have to get it. But first note that I wrote once I saw that the chapter title was Sectum Sempra, I wrote in all caps, ooh, let's get it with six T's. <laughs> so like most chapters in this book, the chapter begins with Harry telling the squad what happened before. But what's different about this time is that they're in charms class rather than in the Gryffindor Tower or at the cafeteria in the Grand Hall or whatever. They are in charms class, so Harry uses muffly on the nearby students so that they can't hear him, which I think is very sneaky and devious. And when you think about it, a good use of charms in charms class. <laughs> the squad is very impressed with Harry's performance in getting the memory. And they're also surprised that Dumbledore promised to take Harry along with him next time he goes to get a Horcrux. Ron is bewildered by all of this and he isn't really thinking about what he's doing with his wand and he accidentally makes it start to snow in class which I think is pretty funny. Hermione then grabs his arm to kind of snap him out of it. And of course, Lavender Brown sees this and glares at Hermione. Well, I thought this was kind of interesting because you know how all the boys of the same year room together. So Harry and Ron have, what is it? uh, Three other roommates, Neville, Dean, and Seamus. So that means Lavender and Hermione have been roommates for six years at this point. Oh, why did I not remember that Lavender Brown is a Gryffindor? I guess it makes sense. Yeah, Lavender is Gryffindor, and so is her friend Pavarti. You know, remember there was a time earlier on in this book where they, like, were making fun of her and being really mean to her? Yeah. And now there's this whole business with, like, Ron, them kind of, like, vying for his affection in, like, a very mm-hmm. undertone kind of way. But, yeah, they've been roommates for six years, and when you think about it that way, I mean, on the one hand, Harry's not very close with Dean and Seamus, but... They're very close to each other, and Harry and Ron are pretty close to each other. Neville, I feel like, kind of floats between those two groups. But, like, Mm -hmm. when you live in the same room as somebody for six years, I feel like you're kind of in some way close to them and know them very well. Sure. And so I imagine that Hermione really likes Lavender as well as a person and, like, cares for her and doesn't want her to feel this kind of pain as well. But at the same time, is obviously in love with Ron. I just thought it was very interesting. They've been roommates for six years. Yeah, and that is something I didn't think about, so that is very good. But Hermione definitely tries to make this not an issue. They kind of do the awkward, like, oh, crap situation. But Ron makes it worse by brushing some snow off of Hermione's shoulder a little bit later. And that 
causes Lavender to burst into tears. Yeah, I know. Oh. At this point, I'm wondering, did they split up? And then literally the next line is Ron telling Harry, we split up. So what happened was when Harry left the dorm room in the invisibility cloak, Lavender saw Ron and Hermione there, which it looked like just the two of them were in the room together alone late at night. Didn't really look good. Ron said that the yelling was bad, but at least he didn't have to finish it, which is very relatable. I think it's definitely something <sighs> where it's easier just to get berated than it is to actually do the breaking up. Ron should have broken up with her months ago. He should have. I think that he did a real disservice to her. It's always bad when you treat the person you're dating so horribly that you force them to break up with you. Yes. It's funny because my sister and I, when we were recording, she said that this was her strategy. When she wanted to break up with people, she just started to be worse and worse. <laughs> so I thought it was funny that it's eventually what it came to for Ron and he was very fine with it. It's a very uh, teenager move. As yeah, well. it's a very teenager move. It's a very, I've never broken up with anyone move. I can understand where Ron's coming from in this. Yeah, I think it's interesting. The next bit where Harry finds out that Ginny and Dean split up as mm -hmm. well. I think it's interesting that his luck, while he like had his own agenda and that was getting the memory and everything, his luck kind of rubbed off into the other things around yes. him. Like he had been really hoping that Ron and Lavender would just break up so that drama could be over. And that luck kind of seeped out into that situation and then the whole thing with like Ginny and Dean obviously yeah. you know he'd been hoping for that to happen too and so his luck kind of seeped into that situation as well it's very interesting because it's something you don't necessarily think of at first but yeah Felix Felicis is very powerful because a lot of things went right for Harry Potter in one evening pretty much all of the things he had wanted all book went properly yeah <laughs> after Ron admits that it was easier just to get yelled at Hermione calls him a coward but she looks amused so she's back to you know the flirtatious poking fun at Ron and then she drops the bombshell that Ginny and Dean broke up narrator Harry says that he noticed a knowing look in her eye but he tries super hard to play it cool and just kind of ask oh oh that's uh oh that's a shame uh what what happened? Hermione says what we already know about the pushing through the portrait hole thing. That was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. But she says they've been, quote, rocky for ages, which I think is funny because they've been dating for a maximum of nine months. Would they have three good months when they were not together <laughs> in the summer? I mean, rocky for long enough that you can imagine like it wasn't it was going to end at some point soon. Yes. And also we need to look at it in the lens of high school relationships where nine months is a really long time. It's very different than currently. <laughs> I remember I had one high school relationship that lasted nine months and everyone, when we eventually broke up, they were like, oh my gosh, you guys were together for so long. <laughs> and now as an adult, you know, if somebody proposes to someone and they're engaged and you find out how long have they been dating and someone says nine months, you're like, what the fuck? Oh, what? That is <laughs> very different, Michael Huber. I know, but I, you, it's just something to keep in mind that in high school, nine months is an eternity and in adult life, Nine months is not a lot. In terms of getting engaged to somebody, nine months is lot not a lot. Yeah. In terms of nine months of dating somebody in the adult world, you start to think, okay, so you might be getting serious now, is yeah. what you think. But in high school, nine months is like, oh, you guys have been married forever. Rocky for Age is definitely more of a high school term. But yes, the main point of what Hermione is saying is that it wasn't a big surprise because they've had little arguments. And we kind of got a sense of that when Ginny was yelling at Dean because she brought it up as if it was a common occurrence that he was constantly pushing her or telling her to do stuff, blah, blah, blah. I mean, she's a very independent woman. She doesn't need... She's a strong, independent woman that don't need no man. She grew up with a bunch of brothers and right. she is very fiery and self-sufficient. Totally. And so I think that, you know... Yeah, so Hermione then says to Harry, of course, this puts you in a bit of a dilemma. And Harry is shocked and goes, what, what do you mean? What? What? And Hermione <laughs> says, the Quidditch team of Dean and Ginny. And he goes, oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, so he definitely thought she was talking about the relationship, which is fantastic. Flitwick then comes over to have the three of them demonstrate their progress on turning vinegar into wine. That was the point of the charms class. Hermione, of course, kills it, but the boys, not doing so hot. Their flasks don't look anything like what they're supposed to. And Flitwick says, quote, a little less talk, a little more action, which I don't know how Flitwick missed saying a little less conversation, a little more action. The song lyrics were sitting right there, Flitwick. Come on. 
So Harry and Ron are then asked to perform the charm to turn it into wine. Harry's turns into ice and Ron's explodes. So both nailed it. So Flitwick then, it's a great quote from the book where it just says, yes, for homework, Flitwick re-emerging from under the table and pulling shards of glass out of the top of his hat, practice, which is fantastic. Also, speaking of Flitwick, it's something that I learned actually from the Harry Potter iPhone game is that Flitwick is the dueling master of Hogwarts. He's like the lead in dueling. And I don't get, he wasn't one of the teachers when they started doing dueling stuff. Wasn't it Snape who was teaching the lesson or was it Snape and Flitwick? I thought it was Snape and Gilderoy Lockhart when they started to do dueling in the second book. Really good question. I thought Flitwick was involved. But when they did like the particular dueling club thing, it was definitely Snape and Gilderoy Lockhart. And I don't understand why Flitwick wasn't involved if he's the dueling champion of Hogwarts. I also think it's great that he's the dueling champion because he seems like a nice, you know, he's very tiny and he seems like a nice, well-mannered teacher. And it's fun to see the sort of power shift because you would assume that the dueling champion would be someone who's very intimidating and scary, but it's just sweet little Flitwick. Yeah. Huh. It was founded by Gilderoy Lockhart in 1992. Yeah. Strange. I really would have thought that um, he would have been in charge of that if it was something that he was really the best at, but apparently not. I think the problem is I think Lockhart wanted to start it and then Snape said he would help knowing that it was going to be a disaster if he didn't. So I don't think it was anything like the school officially put together. I think it was an initiative yeah. that Lockhart wanted to do. Yeah, and I think Lockhart just wanted to do it to be like, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Like, because he knows he's, Lockhart, he's not. He's so dumb. I don't understand why Dumbledore ever hired him. It made no sense. He knows he's not good at magic. So why would he be like, let me put myself on display for not um, being good at magic? Like, know. why did Dumbledore hire him? Like, why? There was no. What was the good thing? At least Slughorn has a purpose for hiring is that you're trying to get this memory out of him. What was the point of hiring Gilderoy Lockhart? I mean, why did he hire. Anybody, really. Because they're either good at their job or they have something very important surrounding them. The important thing with Trelawney is to keep her safe. The important thing with Slughorn is to get the memory. The reason McGonagall is, and Snape are there is because they are good at their subjects that No, they teach, I mean specifically then, for the defense against the dark arts. Like, why was Quarrel there? Why was... Well, we know why Lupin was there. He was mm-hmm. a good teacher. He was good. Quarrel was supposed to be as well. He was supposed to have, like, studied a lot. But, like... Dumbledore had to have known that Gilderoy Lockhart was a piece of shit. I don't understand the hiring. I mean, you seem to have noticed the fact that they have a new Defense Against the Arts teacher every year. Maybe there are a shortage of people who went to teach at the school and pickings were slim that year. And he had to uh, he had to just go with kind of a, a move for paparazzi rather than a move for something that would actually make sense. I mean, there's only so many people who want to be a teacher in a position that is obviously not stable since nobody lasts more than a year. Yeah. I guess that's the only thing that makes sense is that literally no one else applied because he was the worst. So after class, Harry has an internal debate of whether or not to pursue Ginny. It's this back and forth with him and this inner voice, I guess the monster, (laughs) saying things where it's like, but she's Ron's sister, but you like her, and so on and so forth. Listening to Jim Dale read this was absolutely hilarious. (laughs) In the audiobook. I think I mentioned last episode that I had never listened to the audiobooks before, but I really enjoy listening to Jim Dale now. And it's like all that I do now is listen listening to the books. I'm, I'm halfway through the seventh since listening to this one nice. uh, like a week ago. But um, <laughs> it's just like what I do every time that I walk to work or every time that I clean or cook or whatever. I'm just like always listening to it. And he's actually really hilarious. He's very talented with his, uh, they call it his performance of the book rather than his reading of the book because he's actually very talented at it. But this part was hilarious. Yeah, it's just his Dobby voice and his singing voice that are super annoying. Has he? Have you gotten to a part where he does McGonagall yet? Because Jim Dale McGonagall is great with the, oh, Hattie. I mean, he's got a couple of Irish people, a couple of Scottish people. I just listened to somebody, there was some character in the seventh book that he just did that was like, it was very over the top and it was really funny. But no, I have I have really no qualms with it. I enjoy his reading. Nice. Anyway, he's having this internal debate. Mm-hmm. And then... The squad goes back to the common room and Katie Bell is back, which is perfect timing so that we get to avoid this weird Dean and Ginny being on the same thing. Very convenient, yep. Katie Bell. She's all healthy. She's good to go. Harry says that with her and Ron back from injury they have a good shot at thrashing ravenclaw and winning the house cup because of course they do of course they're still in contention to win the house cup they're gryffindor i forgot we were gonna have to talk about quidditch yeah and oh just wait until we get into the bullshit that is them winning that game that's ridiculous so (sighs) they're in a situation where they can win the house cup 
if they win the game against Ravenclaw by 300 points. They have to win. Which is a lot. It's a a hefty order. That is a ton. That is huge. That is an obnoxious amount of points. But uh, don't worry. It's Gryffindor. They're going to be fine. Even if, oh, I don't know, their best player can't play in the game. No, nothing could stop them. Harry asked Kitty about the necklace thing. She says she can't remember anything after she was hit with the Imperious Curse. She says she remembers going into the women's restroom. So whoever used it must have been right behind the door. Hermione thinks that this means it's a girl. Harry doesn't want to rule out a Polyjuice Potion situation, though. So like a crab or a goyle or a Malfoy using Polyjuice Potion. Harry says that he is going to do a swig of Felix Felicis and try the Room of Requirement again, which just, no, Harry, stop. This is not a solution. This is not something that you can do that will work. It's not going to work. But thankfully, Hermione is on the same page as me and tries to convince him that it would be a complete waste of this very powerful potion. She clarifies that Felix worked for Slughorn because Harry always had the ability to persuade him. He just needed the right circumstances for things to fall into place. Trying to trick a powerful enchantment is not necessarily the same thing, which I think is very well said by Hermione in this case. You can't really fool the magic of the door. When I was rereading this, I had forgotten what he used the rest of it for, and I was like, oh my gosh, don't tell me he wasted it on this. Come on, Harry, don't waste it on this. (laughs) Thankfully, he didn't because he's got a good friend in Hermione. Ron asks about making some more. Harry looks it up. Apparently, it's very hard to do so, and it takes six months, of course. But here's my other thought. You guys should make some over the summer. They should be making it, like, round the clock. If they don't make it and use it in the seventh book, I will be very disappointed because this shit is bomb. It's so good. And Harry has all of the special knowledge from the Half-Blood Prince's book now. Yeah. So he should be making this, like, uh-huh. yeah, it takes six months to make, but think about, like, the difference that that could make. Start right now. He's also got a potions professor that A, loves him, and B, feels guilty for his past actions. So Harry can definitely convince him to give him A, instruction on making Felix Salisas, or he B. He doesn't need it. Yeah. He's got the book. But He's the ingredients. The book, but all the ingredients and Everything like that. He can go to Slughorn and be like, hey, Slughorn, I'm going to make a bunch of Felix Felices. Can you help me make this happen? And Slughorn will either do it out of love or will be like, hey, remember that time you let Voldemort become Voldemort and guilt trip him into letting you do it? You should make some more Felix Felices. And they're not going to. And it's going to make me very disappointed when shit goes wrong in the seventh book. My guess is that you have to have it over heat or in very particular conditions. You go to Slughorn and you ask for what all the ingredients are. You put them in a box. You go to the room of requirement into your little hiding spot. You put that box away. First day of the next school year, get the box, make the potion. Um, No, yeah. If they had that length of time at school, at the beginning of a school year, it would make sense for them to be bringing the potion. But you'll just have to read and find out what they do. All right. Well, my guess, they're not going to do shit and they're (laughs) going to get into some trouble in the seventh book. Before putting the potions book away, Harry notices again the inscription that says Sectum Sempra for enemies. And seeing that it's the title of this chapter, I was pretty sure that he was going to use it soon. Spoiler alert, he does. It just like put it, (laughs) right back at the front of his mind again, I feel like. Just reading it right now. He thinks about using it on McLagan, which is great. (laughs) Dean is basically the only person who is not excited to see Katie back because it means he's off the team again. I mean, poor Dean, but also how dare you push Ginny Weasley occasionally? How dare you? I feel bad for Dean. He lost his girlfriend and he lost his chaser position. This is why you don't push people through portrait holes. The Quidditch practices the next week are off the chain. The team is very happy that Katie is back. They are relieved that McLaggen is gone. And Ginny is just slaying, absolutely slaying the practices. She's very fine post-breakup. She's the life of the practices. She's poking fun at Ron and Harry. All is a good time. I love, though, that what is a major factor in them being friendly again is the team collectively just hating the same person in McLagan and him being gone. Nothing like a good bit of hatred to galvanize the roster together. Yeah. This is something that happens in the NBA. Anytime Dwight Howard leaves a team, the entire rest of the team is very happy and they perform a lot better. I like how um, Ginny's the life and soul of the team and she's like both being very talented as a player, but she's also making a lot of jokes. And it says, Harry, laughing with the others, was glad to have an innocent reason to look at Ginny. Yep, always looking for excuses and stuff. He can't keep his eyes off of her. He keeps getting hit with bludgers because of it, which is very cute, but also, come on, Harry, play the game. He has absolutely no chill. (laughs) He continues to struggle with his feelings for her against his friendship with Ron, again, having this internal debate. He feels pressure, though, because Ginny is so popular, he's convinced that someone else might ask her out first, 
which is a very real situation, especially in high school. Yep. I feel like this was definitely a concern anytime a popular girl was single. It was all these dudes trying to chomp at the bit to get her to date them, similarly with a popular boy, just because it was always the concern that someone was going to ask them to the movies or the next dance or homecoming or whatever it was. Or Slughorn's party. Exactly. Harry is really trying to find a time or excuse to be alone with Ginny, like Slughorn's party, but Slughorn hasn't really been throwing any. And anytime Harry is around Hogwarts, Ron keeps hanging around Harry, talking about the upcoming match, <laughs> which is really funny. It's like, oh, uh, my best friend wants to keep talking to me about this very important Quidditch match, but I want to hit on his sister. Ugh, best friends are the worst. I, I think it's really funny because, like, Ron has no idea what he's doing, but he's totally oh, cock-blocking Harry right now. Yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> this is where we learned that Gryffindor can win the cup. They just have to win by 300. This is where I wrote really big in my notes. I wonder if they're going to do it. I roll into oblivion. Extra pressure for Harry because he is banking on the post-victory euphoria plus maybe a little bit of Felix to try to lay the moves on the ginster. He really wants to have that post-win party because there's no more Slughorn party. Yeah, they're like linked in his mind now, winning mm -hmm. the Quidditch match and ending up with Ginny. Which is honestly very true and makes a lot of sense. I mean, it does. It's the best opportunity for him to talk to her in a state where they're both very happy and lots of endorphins running and yes. there's going to be so much calamity that he can sneak her away from Ron or anyone else. I totally forget what you know so far, but so I'm just going to hold my comments for later. Cool. Uh, <laughs> Harry is checking in on Malfoy still. He keeps trying the room of requirement anytime he passes it, which uh, I support Harry being suspicious of Malfoy. I do not support his incessant attempts at the room of requirement. You got to just realize it's not going to work and you need to investigate other situations. Uh, investigate what? I mean, like, he truly believes that Malfoy is up to something that's going to be a harm to both him and his friends. So he wants to stop it, and this is the only lead that he has. I don't know. Try to tell a teacher or something. Tell he McGonagall. Did. Tell McGonagall. He did. Who did he tell? He's told Dumbledore and McGonagall oh. about his suspicions He's, about Draco. Yeah. And they have both been like, you think that I don't, like, mm -hmm. check yeah, up on students? True. What do you think that you're the authority on this? Mm -hmm. Like, and he is convinced that something is going on and nobody's listening to him, and it's the only lead that he has. Like, I mean, it's frustrating, but it's just... You know, mm -hmm. it's the only thing he has to go off of, and he truly believes that it, it's going to lead to something big. Yeah, I guess the big problem is that he can't tell anyone about his proof because then they would know he's got the Marauders. And hat. he, well, he also told uh, Mr. Weasley about his suspicions. Yeah, but that was like they checked the house. The real problem is that the head of Slytherin House hates Harry and doesn't want to help him out. And we know that Snape is somehow involved in the rumblings of Malfoy, just, or at least he tried to be when they had that discussion during the Slughorn party in that other room. In an ideal world, if it was a Hufflepuff kid that was being suspect, he could go up to Sprout and say, hey, I think one of your students is acting the fool. Go check him out. And you can at least like hint at the room of a car and be like, he keeps being on the seventh floor corridor a lot, you know, and try to play dumb of some sorts. But you're right. You're right. He has talked to. to I mean, he hasn't specifically told the adults, hey, Malfoy's in the room of requirement a lot. I mean, he's, he has reported this to as many people as he can at the point at this point. I know that Harry is not the best at explaining it, and he always looks like he's being petty and, and awful. But Dumbledore knows that Harry knows about the room of requirement. So at the very least, Harry could tell Dumbledore about the room of requirement thing. He does later on in these chapters we're going to be discussing, but it's in a big fiery rage because of the Snape thing. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, as you can imagine, all mysteries come to light by the end of this book. So you'll find out very soon what happens. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of a way to put the phrase that. <laughs> the one thing that I do think would be really funny, obviously it would have to be in the future when Harry Potter's turned into a series. I'd love to see just like a giant scene of Harry trying all the different iterations of the things that he's saying to the Room of Requirement door to try to get it to show up. Because we've seen a couple of them in the book, but I would love to see this scene where it says every time he walks by it, he tries a couple. I would like to see a super cut of every iteration of I need to see what Malfoy's doing in the Room of Requirement. <laughs> Just one after the other after the other. As I've been reading it, I've been trying to think about like, because listening to Jim Dale, each chapter that he reads is like 45 minutes long of him just reading it. And that's not sustainable for a miniseries. Like you've got to cut it down to at least like eight episodes per book or something like that. Mm -hmm. Eight hour long episodes maybe per book. 
Mm-hmm. And with him reading just one chapter, it's like 45 minutes in itself. And this book has how many chapters? Like 30 or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly 30. It has 30 chapters in this book. So that would be incredibly long. So I'm like, what would they cut out? And I feel like that's it. Your mantra of <laughs> Harry walking back and forth in front of the room requirement. He'd just do it once for the miniseries. Yes, but it would be fun to see like an after the credits type scene where it's just one after the other after the other after the other. <laughs> like almost like a blooper reel. Exactly. Like. Yeah, like kind of like how after they do it at the end of the office episodes is always like something that's just silly and doesn't necessarily have to fit in with the episode. Uh, so a few days before the match, Harry finds himself alone because Hermione's meeting with Professor Vector. I love that the only instances of Professor Vector ever in the series is when Hermione is talking to Professor Vector in passing about something with arithmancy. There's always like these one sentence mentions of Hermione was with Professor Vector and that's all we ever learn. Oh, you already saw the part where like Ron was misspelling a bunch of stuff in his essay yes. and Hermione. So the f- when when they first started talking about that scene, I didn't realize it was his spell checking quill that was mm-hmm. malfunctioning. I thought that he just didn't know how to spell anything. And I was like, oh my gosh, wizards rely on magic way too much. They can't do simple things like spell or like yeah. basic English things and I was just like this is actually pretty harmful to like brain development and all this stuff and then when it mentions that he spelled his name wrong I was like oh okay but mm-hmm. it makes me think of like like math for example and that everybody has to take math in this book and like I think math was a pretty important part of just brain development even if you didn't go into something like engineering or a, a math heavy field mm-hmm. being able to do simple math is still really important and so I wonder what other kinds of things do they like not know how to do like laundry or cooking or things yeah, like that. I mean, well, to be fair, we also don't have these classes in our schools, which we should. There needs to be some sort of class. No, but I grew up having to do having to do stuff like that. But if there's spells for it, you don't need to. It's the equivalent of like if there's something we can do at our phone. Like, I don't know necessarily how to drive everywhere that I go because I have Google Maps. And then you know, old people are like, oh, if you don't know how to get somewhere, how are you going to get there? Like, what if your phone dies? Like, I'll use my rechargeable battery. <laughs> my mom still <laughs> makes me look up the route. At, if I'm, if I'm oh, leaving gross. from home, she'll make me look up the route and like learn it before driving. She's like, it's just better this way. You can have Google Maps on too, but just like learn the route so you know what you're doing. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. Wait, get this. Okay. My dad still prints out map quest oh gross i knew you were gonna say that that hurts my feelings (laughs) he prints out map quests with like the step-by-step instructions of what to do and the little like it's so funny yeah i have some old co-workers that when i'm trying to drive somewhere they'll explain to me how to get somewhere and they'll give me like the multiple route options i'll be like well if traffic's bad on 167 you know you should take this i'll be like kevin if traffic is bad google will tell me to get off and do something else (laughs) and i'll listen to google like google is going to know better than you about anything in real time. They know where accidents happen on the road. Like, I understand trying to be independent stuff, but like, it's also just the most efficient way is to listen to my phone. Actually, I haven't checked in with my dad recently to find out. If he's upgraded to Google Maps. Yeah, he he got a smartphone like two years ago, and I'm not sure I've gone on any longer road trips with him since then. We'll have to, I'll 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 look into that. Yes, we'll have to look into that. Whoa there, past Mike. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. How about we take a quick breather because it's time for Wingardium at Ridosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by the new two-player cooperative board game, Far Away. This game is incredible. My friend Alex runs his own board game company, and I saw this board game come to fruition from the ground floor. I helped beta test it, and I helped with the promotional materials. This game is incredible. So Far Away is a two-player cooperative board game about exploring a series of worlds out in space. Basically, you and your partner have crash-landed on some sort of alien planet, and there could be a bunch of different objectives based on how you're playing the game, so you get that fun replay value and that there's a bunch of different ways to play it, but you and your partner have to achieve some sort of task together. But the trick is, if your partner and you are in different hexes on the board, you cannot talk to each other. So it's a game that emphasizes cooperation, communication, and it really puts an emphasis that if you are out in space, loneliness is something that can be a serious detriment to your mission. So it's really fun because when you and your partner are in the same hex, you have to talk out all the strategy because the rules state you're not allowed to talk when you're separate. So 
you have to get to the same place, try to talk out a strategy, separate, do some stuff. And then at some point you got to think, oh crap, I got to go back and figure out what to do. So you make it a point to get back in the same hex and be like, all right, bud, what do we do? How do we go forward? The game is so much fun and you can support their Kickstarter now to get a discounted price on the game before it comes out. So if you go to bit.ly slash potterlessfaraway, all lowercase, you'll be taken to the Kickstarter for the game where you can pre-order the game for $40, which is $25 cheaper than what it will be when it hits stores in the future. So that's a huge amount of savings. On that Kickstarter page, there's a 15 minute playthrough video of the tutorial level. You can watch me and Alex, the creator of the game, play through the level and you'll get a sense of what the game is like, what it looks like, how it plays, all kind of stuff like that. It's basically like giving the board game a test drive. So again, go to bit.ly slash potterlessfaraway to support the Kickstarter, support indie games, and get ready to save the world and make your planetary explorations a success. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, Neville Longbottom is someone who likes to collect cards. He likes to collect the chocolate frog cards. And it's got to be a frustrating experience for him to be ripping open all these chocolate frog things, hoping for particular cards. What if there was slightly less randomness in the mix? What if he had a better sense of what cards he could get? Ooh, that sounds like something that could intrigue you if you were trying to get muggle versions of trading cards and stuff. And if that's interesting to you, you should check out Arena Club. Arena Club is a website and service where you can do all sorts of things in the world of trading cards, whether that is sports trading cards or Pokemon cards, you can utilize Arena Club and they have so many cool things. One of the coolest things that they have is slab packs. Slab packs give you more transparency when it comes into ripping open packs and hoping for particular cards in a pull. And I recently opened up a slab pack with Arena Club and it was nice because rather than it just be like this complete black box of I have no idea what cards I'm going to get, they show you a list of, oh, here are the different cards that you could get from this pack. Here's the percentages. And then what's also nice about it is that if you don't like whatever card you get, you can just sell it right on back to Arena Club and then boom, you can take those funds and use them to get other cards because they also have a full marketplace where you can search for individual cards. I did that as well. I wanted to get a particular Pokemon card. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu. It's holographic. It's beautiful. I'm looking at it right now and it's proudly in my studio. Arena Club is a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, display, minting, all sorts of good stuff. If you are involved or interested in any sort of card collecting, trading cards, stuff like that, I think think Arena Club will be right up your alley. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash potterless. Wow, that's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack, for example. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So check that out if you want to have a little less randomness in your life, whether it is with muggle trading cards or chocolate frog cards like Neville today. So Harry is alone because Hermione is with Professor Vector, and Ron is throwing up in the bathroom again because he is very nervous. A lot of the people on both Quidditch teams for Ravenclaw and Gryffindor are feeling the nerves of this very important match. That's what happens when your damn league has three matches a year for each team, is every match is crucial. So Harry looks in the Marauder's map and he sees Malfoy in a bathroom with Myrtle, which I remember right. Myrtle was talking about some crying boy 
this had to be Malfoy. I don't know if I said this in an earlier episode or not, but I remember reading this when Myrtle was describing it. The only person that would have made sense was Malfoy because she said something about this boy was crying on his own saying he was going to prove everyone wrong. It was very ominous of sorts. I and think you asked, I, totally, I think you told that to me. I asked you okay. who you thought it was. It was something that I suspected at first and then completely forgot about. So once he said this, I was like, right, this thing that I've forgotten about. So Harry heads over, he cracks the door open and he sees Myrtle comforting Malfoy. He says that no one can help him. He can't do it. If he doesn't work, he, which I'm guessing is Voldemort, says he'll kill me. Malfoy's actually crying real tears. And then he sees Harry in the mirror. And what do they do? They throw hexes at each other because they're dumb. They're so stupid. This has been a rivalry six years in the making of them not actually throwing magical punches at each other. Like they've, they've thrown been minimal ones. They've very been minimal. talking smack and they've been doing like jelly leg jinxes, like jinxes. but not full on hexes. And like this elevates really fast. Mm-hmm. But I think who started this? Um Malfoy threw the first hex, but Harry was creeping on him in the bathroom, so I mean, I think Malfoy is at fault. The real thing Harry should have done, like any normal person, is once Malfoy sees you, you go, <gasps> and you run down the hallway. But of course, Harry kicks the door open and fights back because he's an idiot. So there's some back and forth of hexes being thrown, lots of misses and stuff. No one actually gets really hit with anything. And Malfoy starts to say Crucio, but then Harry screams Sectum Sempra and just waves his wand in a random pattern that he hopes works. And it does because blood spurts out of Malfoy's face and his chest as if he was, quote, sliced with an invisible sword. Malfoy straight up collapses in a pool of his own blood and Harry is absolutely shook. He thinks he's dead. Myrtle thinks he's dead, but we all know that he's not going to be. Snape then bursts in because Snape is Lord of Timing. <laughs> Snape always has this, and we talked about this last episode, but he has walked in every single time these two have had any sort of argument before, and this is no different. I think Snape has his own Marauder's Map, or at least some sort of thing that indicates when Harry Potter and Malfoy are in a scuffle, because he always fucking walks in exactly when Harry does something mean to Malfoy, 100% of the time. He has been keeping an eye on Malfoy this semester. Yes. Yeah, so this fight really escalated very fast. I mean, Harry shoots Levy Corpus at him, Mm -hmm. and then he does a leg locker curse, and he's like, you know, these are just, like, still... Little jinxes. Yeah, they're a little more intense. Like, there's some of the things that were being used in the ministry fight. But then but it's Malfoy not, tries, Yeah, Malfoy throws an unforgivable. Yeah, and so he just uses this four enemies thing. And it's very obvious that the Half-Blood Prince and Harry Potter have very different ideas of what you would do to your enemy. Because this is not yes, something that Harry Harry would do. did not see yeah. this coming. Yeah, Harry thought it was just going to be something powerful. He did not think invisible sword to cut the hell out of my yeah. enemy. Like, so kill Snape him, essentially. rushes in. Yeah, Snape rushes in. He knows this is very serious. He says that Malfoy's got to go to the hospital wing, tells Harry Potter to stay, and Harry is so shook that he doesn't disobey Snape. Snape does a bunch of healing charms and brings Malfoy to the hospital wing. He then comes back and asks Harry where he learned that dark magic spell. Harry tries to lie and say that it was from a library book, and Snape starts doing legilimens on Harry, and the thought of the book starts to come to the front of Harry's mind. So Snape tells Harry to bring him every textbook he has immediately. (laughs) Harry then runs to Gryffindor Tower. He's covered in blood. People are giving him weird looks, but he doesn't care. He's has the fear that Snape will tell Slughorn how he's been killing it in potions. And I'm just realizing that Harry has basically been cheating on every single test he's been taking for an entire semester. And I'm just now realizing the academic implications if they learn that he's been cheating on everything in a class for an entire year. I honestly still would not call it cheating. It's like he's been getting tutored by his book. He has been learning outside information that nobody else in the class has been learning. And that's essentially what Mm -hmm. getting tutored is or like doing research on your own is this just came to him a lot easier. But he has been learning how to do things better than it's not like somebody else is making the potions for him. He's just been learning a better way to make potions than he's being taught. Yeah, I guess the problem, though, is that he's not actually learning anything from the class, though, which we learned for the one lesson where he ended up just grabbing the Bezor. Uh, he isn't actually learning anything from it. He's not getting anything out of it. He's just using it like a cheat sheet. So whether or not it is cheating, it is 
hurting his learning process because he does just have like an answer to everything and he's not taking the time to learn stuff. Now, I don't know if he would do that in potions class anyway because he's Harry Potter, but uh, it definitely, he's not getting anything productive out of the book aside from the things he's using outside of class, like the extra jinxes and hexes. Harry finds Ron, says that there's no time to explain, but he needs Ron's potions book. Like a true bro here, Ron's like, oh, sure. And just like gives yep. him everything. Here. It's just like- Ron's the best. I have a, I've had a theory for a while about why you get sorted into different houses. Mm-hmm. And I think that you get sorted into the house that you have the most potential for that quality, but it needs to be developed. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily your most standout quality right now, but it's a quality that needs to be developed because obviously- Like Neville. Hermione comes in- very intelligent, very book smart, and that is very Ravenclaw-ish, but she gets put in Gryffindor, and it never says that she asked to get mm-hmm. put in Gryffindor. She gets put in Gryffindor because she has such a, um, she has so much potential to develop her braveness. Harry obviously has a huge amount of ambition and a thirst to prove himself, as the Sorting Hat called it, which is a very Slytherin thing, mm-hmm. and Ron is just the most loyal friend. And he, you know, everybody's always like, yeah, but Ron and and Harry fight a lot. Yeah, but Ron always comes back just out of sheer loyalty, even when logic doesn't. And also best friends fight a lot. I fought with Josh all the time as a kid. That's just how it goes. You play one-on-one basketball, you get into a big heated discussion, you leave in an angry grump, and then the next morning when you're on the school bus on the way to school, you go, hey, what's up? Oh, nothing much, how are you? Like, and it's all good. Ron and Harry's fights are usually bigger than that, like in Goblet of Fire when he doesn't speak to him for a long time because he's like, why didn't you tell me how Mm -hmm. you did this? And like other little things that like that that happened where they don't talk for a while, but it's always a sense of loyalty that brings them back together. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's because Ron is the true embodiment of kind of like a loyal friend who just, you know, he's still allowed to get mad and and have his own emotions, but he's just very loyal to his friends. But he has a propensity for, not a propensity, he has this capability to be very brave, which, and I think that that kind of drives a lot of the character development throughout the series is developing them into being more brave. Yeah, he's already got the loyalty good to go on lock or being in Hufflepuff house might not necessarily do a whole lot for him. But by being in Gryffindor, he can get that extra potential to where he becomes not only very loyal, but also very brave. Right, just like Hermione, you know, is very book smart and intelligent, but she is very afraid Mm -hmm. of breaking the rules. She's afraid of flying on broomsticks. She's afraid of stepping out of her comfort zone just in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that throughout the books, and even more so in this book and the next book, both Ron and Hermione really grow into their own, into this idea that they are brave, that that is their biggest quality. Exactly. Sorry for the tangent. I just have that theory. No, tangents are great. That's what makes the podcast good. People get mad at me when I don't have tangents. True bro, Ron Weasley just hands over his book. Yes, he does. He's just like, yep, you need it. Here you go. Mm -hmm. And Harry then swings by the remove requirement, thinking I need a place to hide my book. Finally, after a couple tries, gets the door to show up. He enters a room where all sorts of students have hidden stuff over the years. Some are banned books. Others are weapons, which seems a lot more concerning. He then hides it behind a cage in a cupboard drawer, and then he takes a chipped bust statue and puts a silly wig and a tiara on it so he remembers where he put the stuff, which is uh, the picture. The picture of that is the illustration at the beginning mm-hmm. of the chapter. It's very cute. So he then leaves and goes back to Snape, who is suspicious. He wonders why the potions book has Runal Waslib <laughs> on the front cover, as we've discussed, the mess up of the spelling quill. Now here's my problem is that the spelling quill didn't stop working until halfway through the year. So why did Ron only write his name on the book halfway through the year? Maybe it's been misspelling for a long time and he just never noticed. Oh gosh, that is a possibility knowing Ron. Harry says it's his nickname. Snape doesn't believe it. He says your nickname and Harry's like, yes, a name my friends call me. He goes, I understand what a nickname is, Potter. That sounds like Jim Dale's voice right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I base it off of. It's more of that and less of Alan Rickman. Oh, Alan Rickman was just the best Snape though. Yeah, he was. But the problem is like Alan Rickman's too likable. So I think a lot of people like Snape more than they should because Alan Rickman's great. Um, And Snape fucking blows. He was very unlikable in the series though. But he's also Alan Rickman. I mean, he's Alan Rickman. So for me, actually... the first thing I saw Alan Rickman in was Harry Potter. And so for me- You didn't see Galaxy Quest? No. Mm. So for me- You haven't seen Captain Planet and the Planeteers <laughs> or Galaxy Quest. 
Um, what else did I see Alan Rickman in? He was in a Jane Austen movie that I saw, but I saw that after all the Harry Potter. Pride and Prejudice. No, he was not in Pride and Prejudice. He was in a different one. Mr. Darcy. Uh, I, think it, I think it was like Sense and Sensibility or something like that. Are all of Jane Austen titles something and something else? No. Um, just, just those two. No, she should have wrote Crime and Punishment and War and Peace. So Harry says it's his nickname, so he doesn't believe him, says that he thinks Harry's a cheat. He wants to give Harry detention every Saturday morning for the rest of the year, mainly so that Harry has to miss the Quidditch final match. And here's my concern. We've just had a situation where Harry almost murdered a fellow student. And Snape is more concerned about trying to dunk on this kid of this guy he used to hate who married the girl that he had a crush on. Like, can we not address the more pressing issue, which is that Harry knows a very powerful dark magic spell, and it's not something that he learned in class, and he used it against someone in the school, but no, Snape's more concerned about like, ha, 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 now you can't go to your Quidditch match, Potter. I don't think that's necessarily what it is. I don't think... I mean, maybe. But he, it is. He's not. Snape is not concerned at all. He just goes like, "Oh, where'd you learn the dark magic?" Also, fuck you. You can't go to your Quidditch match. It's so concerning. I don't like how Snape doesn't hear Harry out throughout this. Like, he doesn't ask him, "Where did you learn this? Why did you think to use it?" He doesn't expand on getting to the bottom of it, which is very crucial. But Harry deserves a lot of punishment, and the best way to punish somebody is by making them give up their Saturdays for the rest of the year. That is a big punishment and it kind of fits this crime. I think the punishment is good and it fits the crime and it makes sense. And Harry agrees that it fits the crime. Yeah, but the problem is like, Snape has to address the issue. The main issue is that Harry is using a very powerful charm against a fellow student. You have to address that. It makes sense to give him a severe punishment, but your entire focus of the interaction with the kid can't just be that. You have to be concerned and say, hey, where the fuck did you learn this? He knows. He did legitimacy on him. He knows how he learned it. Yeah, but he doesn't like fully know it because he doesn't have the actual book. Like he doesn't know that it's the advanced potions book or whatever. He doesn't know that it's Snape's old copy, which I'm just assuming Snape's the half-blood prince, but he doesn't know exactly what it is. He thinks it's a textbook, but he does not know exactly what it is. But regardless, you can't just drop this. Like you have to talk to the kid about this. This is very dangerous. It's super dangerous, and you can't just move on to the punishment. I think that Snape absolutely knows. I think he should do more investigating into what the book is because you have theorized that Snape is the half-blood prince and therefore that this is his book, but that is not necessarily something that is true or that we know, and so Snape should be checking it out. I agree, but I don't think the entire interaction is about him making Harry miss the Quidditch match. What is he, once Harry gives him the book, he just drops it. Once he gives him the one that says Runal Weaslib on it, he just drops it and then moves on to the punishment and then focuses on that and then lets him leave without saying anything about Sectumsempra except, oh, I didn't know you were a fan of dark magic, almost admirably. I'm not a Snape sympathizer, but I think that what he did was he has no further proof besides his reading of Harry's mind, which I'm sure is not very kosher with school rules, so he can't use that as evidence as to Harry having this book. He has a physical copy that he knows is probably a fake, but he also can't prove that. So he's got no evidence as to how Harry got this magic, and I mean, the next thing to do is to punish him for it. Yeah. He should ask him, like, I mean, like... You should ask the basic questions. Yes, he should be asking the basic questions. But he says that he gets yelled at by McGonagall for a while, and I have a feeling that she goes more in-depth. Yeah, I guess... It's- That's his... And also, she's his head of house. She's in charge of him. And so, mm-hmm. pretty much, Snape caught him, Snape punished him, and then Snape told the person who's actually in charge of Harry, hey, this is what happened. Now it's your fault. Now, now, like, you look into it. Yeah, I guess what just surprises me is that Snape comes in and he understands what Sectumsembra is, and he knows the severity of it. I am very disappointed, and Snape's just a bad teacher, so I don't know why I keep thinking he's going to be better than he is. I am always disappointed in Snape. <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand how he doesn't, he shouldn't drop it until he finds out exactly like he should just keep saying like, I know you're lying. Where did you learn this? Like he's got to get it out of him just because he should have more urgency. I guess it's okay. I just found it problematic and it's upsetting that once he doesn't necessarily get a straight answer out of Harry, he just moves on to the thing he seems to be more concerned about, which is punishing a kid and less so than telling him, Hey, that's not cool. 
to be doing dark magic in school. That's not That's what the okay. punishment says. Harry knows it's not cool to do dark magic in school. Yeah, but then the whole punishment is just trying to shit on his dad and his dad's friends anyway. The whole punishment is just like, look at the bad stuff your dad and Sirius did. Yeah, yeah. that was pretty. That What he makes him do for detention is very shitty. Like, what he should be yeah. doing instead is something that betters the school or helps Snape grade papers or write lines or... Or teach him the dangers of dark magic or something. I mean, something. he's the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. He should have to he write a paper on it. could just give a long and boring discussion and, yeah, give have a long, boring discussion, make him write a paper about all of the bad things that can happen if you do stuff like that in school. But no, he just goes, this is stuff your dad got in trouble for. Yes, the punishment ends up being wrong, but mm-hmm. the fact that he gets his Saturdays taken away for the rest of the year, I think is absolutely correct and something that should have happened. Yeah, I agree. I just was upset that that was, it seemed like that's all Snape really cared about. So Harry goes back to the squad plus Ginny in the Gryffindor common room. And Hermione says, I won't say I told you so, which is literally saying I told you so. It's the same thing. And it, what, what, in what world is that not saying I told you so? Yeah, I mean, no, she is saying I told you so. Yeah, I just, uh, come on, Hermione. Oh, we're about to get to my favorite part. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so McGonagall already had a stern talking to Harry. She supports the punishment, and she says that he's lucky to not have been expelled. Honestly, he should have been expelled. He can't bear to look Ginny in the eye to see her disappointment as he just informed her that she will be playing Seeker and Dean will be a chaser for the final match, which is awkward. Yep, sucks. Hermione says that she was right about the prince being off. Harry agrees stubbornly, and then Hermione is shocked that he keeps trying to defend the Half-Blood Prince. Harry says, well, the prince just copied it. He didn't necessarily advise using it, which, okay, Harry, you're going to need a yoga mat to do that stretch. (laughs) I'm very excited with how upset Harry is going to be when he finds out that the Half-Blood Prince is Snape. His world is going to crumble in front of his eyes. No comment. Yeah, I'm very convinced it's Snape. And if it's not Snape, this will be worse than Little Bagman because I feel so sure of this. And you've been talking about it for so long, too. The whole book. Well, the whole book, because in the very beginning, it's like, I wonder, it was like chapter four or something where it was the Half-Blood Prince was brought into. Well, the name of the book is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, but usually you don't learn about what the name of the book is until a little bit longer in. Well, as you can imagine, you will know before the book is over. I hope so. That would be really dumb if you didn't learn until the seventh book. So Harry won't let up, says that he will eventually go back to the room of requirement to get his book. He brings up that without it, they never would have gotten the Felix Felicis and he never would have saved Ron. All true, all true points. Yeah, and he's about to say another thing and then Hermione butts in and says that he never would have got a reputation for potions brilliance you don't deserve. And Ginny steps in. Ooh, this is my favorite her with part. A, Give it a rest, Hermione. This is my favorite part. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I love it. I Love this because Hermione is kind of right, but it is all just boiling down to her being jealous that Harry got better grades than her in class. Ginny says that Harry was fine to use the hex because Malfoy is about to use Crucio, which is pretty valid. Malfoy is about to hit him with something very painful, so Harry hit him with something very painful instead. Malfoy is about to do something that has been banned by the ministry. Harry was about to do something that he thought was just like going to keep him safe for longer and mm-hmm. he does not he would not use it if he knew what it did Malfoy was using the Cruciatus curse knowing what it did and knowing how mm-hmm. bad it anyway it's different yeah. and then Ginny's like you should just be glad that Harry had something up with his sleeve and rather than you know blah, blah, oh my gosh so good I love it it's very good Ginny's perfect Hermione tries to backtrack a bit, which is very classic. She tries to do the appeal to Ginny tactic where she says, well, I just thought that, you know, you would be more concerned given that Harry just put the Quidditch match in jeopardy and Ginny claps back with, quote, oh, don't start acting as though you understand Quidditch. You'll only embarrass yourself. This is when... I put my book down and did a lap around my apartment, just going, ooh. But that's so mean. This is like. It's pretty funny, though. Ginny is very smart and very witty, but I feel like she needs to learn some tact in what she says and who she says it to, because she says some things that, like. I don't think so. Are very hurtful. And I just, I mean, it comes from her growing up with six brothers and that kind of being their Mm -hmm. rapport of snaps back and forth. Yeah. But, like, personally, to me, if somebody said that to me, I would be so hurt by it, and it would not be something that I would expect a friend to ever say to me, no matter how mad at me they were. But 
again, Jenny is very witty, and I love the fact that she's standing up for Harry here because love. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I think it's absolutely hilarious. So over the next few days, but, obviously. No, the best part, the best part, Harry and Ron stared. Hermione and Ginny had always got on together very well, were now sitting with their arms folded, glaring in, in opposite directions. Ron looked nervously at Harry and then snatched up a book at random and hid behind it. Harry, however, little though he knew he deserved it, felt unbelievably cheerful all of a sudden, even though none of them spoke again for the rest of the evening. <laughs> yeah, he knows that Ginny probably likes Harry back too, <laughs> which he shouldn't have any doubt about seeing that Ginny was obsessed with him for the entirety of the second book. I mean, I just like that Harry and Ron are so confused by this. They're very conflicted. They don't know what to do, so they do nothing. Ginny and Hermione have been like really good friends now for six years and or like mm-hmm. they usually get along very well and then it's just really funny. It's very <laughs> funny. It's a very awkward situation for them to be in and their approach, do nothing. Boys. So over the next few days, obviously Gryffindor is very upset. They are dejected and Slytherins are poking fun at them. Uh, it's detention on the day of the match. Harry is required to help organize and refurbish some of Filch's old files. Basically, Snape is making Harry read and rewrite every instance of James and the Marauders breaking rules, which, uh, just, you had a bully and a crush. Just get over it. You're a grown man, Snape. You'll, you'll learn more later, but Always. honestly, Snape has some issues, obviously, with letting go and just, like, moving on and living his life. Yeah, uh, it's just, you're a grown man. Harry obviously is thinking of the game. He realizes that the Seeker matchup is Ginny versus Cho, which I think is very funny. <laughs> Harry rushes back to the common room after detention is over. He's very nervous about the result. He goes through the portrait hole very quietly and slowly and fearing the worst, but why should he be? Because guess what? They won by 310 points without their best player. What a big surprise. Your best player's missing, our best chaser is playing seeker, and some kid that didn't even make the team is playing chaser. But not only did we win, we won by 310 points. Uh, he was all fired up. I can't. I, uh, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. It's the dumbest. It's the dumbest thing. I. It's. Uh, I'm not. I can't. I can't. I can't. We'll be here for another five hours. Get to the hours. next part. Get to so the next part. Get to the next part. Yeah, we'll just move past this and get to the good stuff. Ginny sees Harry, runs up to him, and throws her arms around him. And he basically just says, screw it, and starts kissing her without thinking or second-guessing himself or anything like that. I was very proud of Harry Potter here. There's a great quote from the narrator, which says, after several long moments, or it might have been half an hour, or possibly several sunlit days, they broke apart. So they had a big old smooch going and down. everybody watched it and just got absolutely quiet. Yep, literally everyone in the room watched it. Several people wolf whistle, some nervously giggle. Harry sees Dean with a shattered glass in his hand, which <laughs> that's pretty intense. First off, this party has glass cups. Like, they're not just using solo cups. Nice. But also, he's so mad that he broke a glass. Have you ever tried to break a glass? That's, very that's true. not easy to do. It's very much like a cartoon character Maybe thing. he dropped it. And then was picking it back up. No, I think the implication is that he had a glass in his hand and he got so mad that he broke it, which I don't know if I could do if I tried. I don't think I could do it. Unless I had a very thin glass, like a wine glass, sure. But I'm imagining this is some sort of like a rocks glass or a pint glass or something. I'm hoping it's a wine glass. And he just like broke it. I'm hoping it's a thick, thick beer stein or pint glass that is very very hard and this is how mad dean Dean is if he just broke a beer is like pint glass i would be very impressed remember they're roommates too yep so that'll be fun when dean murders him in his sleep so ramilda vane looks very pissed hermione is beaming ron hits him with a tiny jerk of the head quote which harry understood to mean well if you must i like how he's just like Harry's just scanning the crowd. He's looking for Ron because he doesn't yes. care what anybody else thinks. These are all just like all background narrations of what he sees. But he's like looking for Ron. Like, uh-oh, mm-hmm. uh-oh. What does Ron think? What is it? It's just such bros. I love Ron it. Ron proves so much in this chapter and throughout this entire book that he is just the biggest bro. He's such a bro. The biggest bro ever. He's such a the bro. creature in Harry's chest roars in triumph. He- 
Harry and Ginny then walk about the castle talking about so many things other than Quidditch. There's this cute little moment where the narrator says something to the effect of, if their conversation eventually led to the Quidditch match, so be it, basically implying that they have so many other things to talk about. And uh, my heart grew three sizes. And that was the end of this chapter. And it's the end of this episode of Potter. So Kelly, how do you feel about chapter 24? Oh man, it was really good. I, <laughs> <laughs> I um, as I was saying, I was listening to the audiobooks for this and I was at work listening to this chapter mm-hmm. and I just stopped working and I'm just like staring out at the end of this chapter when all this happens. I'm just like staring at the wall just like with this huge smile on my face beaming at nobody just mm-hmm. like because ah! I I love Harry and and Ginny. Yes. And I know like a lot of people think that he was supposed to end up with Hermione and I know that uh, for all of those people are wrong. Every single exactly. person including J.K. Rowling is wrong. It's wrong. This is just It's very wrong. Obviously Ginny was tailor made for him and Yeah. It's just really good. It's perfect. They're so perfect. Very, very perfect. And, you know, they they couldn't have gotten together. I know she was in love with him in, like, the second book. And you'll find out more, I think, in the next chapter. I mean, she was also an infant. Like, she was 10. Exactly. (laughs) Like, if they had gotten together, then they wouldn't be together now. Like, Harry had to learn what girls were. (laughs) Yeah, and Ginny needed to start getting sassy. Ginny needed to become Ginny before she could be Ginny and Harry. And I just, it's so good. I'm glad they're together. They are a perfect match. They're a perfect fit, and I'm glad that they finally have made it happen. So, Kelly, thank you so much for being on this episode of Potterless. Everyone should check out the Potterless website because Kelly's put some amazing work together for that. And you also make the website for my newly launched podcast, Horse, uh, which I think is a very pretty site. Yes, it has been launched. It has been (laughs) completed, and it has been launched. (laughs) It's almost as if at the time of recording, it hasn't been launched. (laughs) But it will be by the time this is posted. So I'm sure that website is equally beautiful to the Potterless Exciting. site. Um, yeah, check it out. That website is horsehoops.com, by the way. So thank you, Kelly, for joining listeners. Thank you for listening. And until next time, as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, before they pop the champagne at the post-world Quidditch Cup or house Quidditch Cup tournament victory party, wizard on! That was very complicated. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's just, it's when they say it. <laughs> Did you know Potterless has a website? Did you know that this website gives you so much information about the show, the charities that we've donated to, other podcasts that Mike has starred on? It's fantastic. You just gotta go to potterlesspodcast.com and Kelly Beckman, who was on this episode, made the website and continues to update it and curate it and it's fantastic. Potterless was created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Leanne Davis, Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Erica and Calvin Bauer, Sadie Bear, Jesse Horgan, Natalie Klobuchar, Deborah Wilkins, Klaus Serlopu, Alex Starker, Becca Adamic, Frank Chiotto, Marchismo, Tori Larzik, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfiliu, Jenna Dowsik, Kieran Webb, Luis Nusak, Akonchis Oksana, Abita Med, Caitlin Jordan, Pontolo, Benjamin Bridges, Rosemary Dodge, Jill Boulay, Marie Lisa C. Keen, Ariel Bird, Romina Rivadanier, Kamel Doc, Anthony Bonarigo, Russell Dunk, Jenny Nelson, Dustin Wolin Cooch, Katie Rogers, Audra, Indiana Mercer, Eleanor Curlin, Sydney Cawthorn, Billy Hinton, Ross Micah Cull, Andrea Franz, Nikita Power, Colette Smith, Chrissy Hutton, Trina Unatcat, Lala Palmer, Chelsea Green, Taylor Armstead, Sammy Curti, Lovekesh Longer, Shivani Patel, Ali Madsen, Calmage, Cassandra Aponte, Roxy Chaos, Emilia Krauss, Sean Montag, Jeremiah E. Heard, Courtney Allingham, Sarah Nick, Jesus J. Morales, Ben Silver, Francisco Batista, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Gabriel Medcroft, Jessica Ann, Natalie Jung, Arna Guthrie, Daughter, Brandy Baldonado, Melody McGinnis, Kristen Chavez, Jonathan Swanny, Zach Ross Klein, Elisa Figueroa, Daisy Curtin, Stoddard, Jessica Jacob, Orchid Grower, Jonathan Foy, Joe Harrison, Marcus Zeller, Isabel Steve Trelower, Vivian Santos, Samuel Minor, Ellie Ravik, Victoria Renee, Kyla Schultz, Elena Takari Rant, Arlene Ruiz, Brenna, Jackie Clear, Drake Perez, James Stepp, Haley Hastings, Marino, Kelsey Langstaff, Braden Morrison, Matthew Mouster, Taylor Fulton, Hannah Shepard, Angelina Withred, Ash Prosser, Ross Marie Heise, Peter Bemis, Maria Vega, Diego Costa, Lester Chan, Fonas Ebner, Chase Julian, Natalie Lozano, Hermione Hoff, and Can't I Potter? Web design by Kelly Beckman and music by Bettina Campomanes. You can find us on social media. We're at facebook.com slash potterless, twitter.com slash potterless pod, and instagram.com slash potterless podcast. Again, the website is potterlesspodcast.com, and all the bonus content lives at patreon.com slash potterless. Thank you all so much for listening, and until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, a wizard on! Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. 
to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.